0: Welcome to the See Me Now podcast. I'm Kelsey Coleman here with my co-host, Caitlin Birdsall. And we are joined today by Colorado Mesa University Associate Professor of Statistics, Dr. Rick Ott. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And you had your undergrad in electrical engineering. Now, obviously, you are embedded in statistics. What made you go from electrical engineering to the stats world?
1: Um, Well electrical engineering it was great um had a great future in it but at the same time personally i was not the kind of kid to grow up to play around with cars and i was more of a person that enjoyed you know, doing some programming as well as uh, basically mathematical and the theory behind it. And as time went on, I just decided for after my undergraduate degree in St. Mary's in San Antonio, I said, "Well, I switched over and got a master's in uh, applied mathematics."
0: And with that, you ha- you have such a fun, interesting career. I mean, you kind of been all over the place doing so many different things. You received your PhD at Rice,
1: correct? And then
0: you went to work for NASA.
1: Yeah, I actually did that in between. I did Ah. that after I got a master's at University of Missouri Rolla, which now is called uh the Missouri Science and Technology, and uh, basically the Engineering School in Missouri. And after I did that, I went ahead and I was on a space shuttle landing team for a few years at Johnson Space Center. Um, if you look at, watch the old uh, Apollo 13 movie, they talk about the back rooms where they're taking the duct tape and doing that kind of stuff. In in modern day, in the Mission Control right now, the the back rooms are now on the sides. And so I worked in one of the side rooms, and I looked at basically uh, wind balloon data, uh, for one thing, for all the emergency landing sites all over the globe when a shuttle would launch or land, as well as some of the other, all the characteristics we did just prepare that we prepared for months uh, for any shuttle landing.
2: So I'd like to explore a little bit more statistics. So we've been talking about your background in engineering NASA, which I find really interesting. But I think when you hear the word statistics, different things probably come to people's mind of what exactly is statistics? How do you use it? How do you teach someone about statistics? So could you dive into more of now your later in your career of your statistics side? The Mm -hmm.
1: most common answer is, ooh, I hated that class. But no, really, My first answer or question of every first test, as well as my final exam, is going to be statistics, is the theory of blank, blank. And what I tell them to put in there, it's decision making. That is really what statistics is. We do it every day of our lives. We may not write down numbers to quantify our decisions, but that's exactly what statistics is. Um, we all make uh, decisions in everyday life, whether it be from the careers you choose, to the person if you decide to, uh, to have a spouse, to if you're going to have kids or not, and where you're going to move. And we all go ahead and make our decisions based upon if we believe we're going to be happy. And of course, that really deals with, well, there's no guarantees in life, well, except for we always hear death and taxes, if you were talking to my wife on the, in, in accounting. But otherwise, uh, basically, we all make decisions based on probabilities, or basically, we're for, we're basically, fort, not fortune telling, whatever it would be a good name, Um trying to predict whether or not these decisions are going to make me happy and that's exactly what statistics does.
2: I love bringing that to more, you know, inclusive and a more way to be able to really picture it because it is for somebody for myself who's not in the world of statistics it sometimes can seem fairly lofty but I love that bringing it down to really it's just about decision making and and weighing those probabilities of every decision we're making.
1: Yeah, one of my first examples at an intro class is I asked who has a bright orange shirt and a green pair of pants or shorts or vice versa that would that would create an outfit for you. And I said, well, you wear that uh, next class for me. Ooh, no. I said, why not? They don't match. What do you mean? You mean you bring them together and they repel like magnets? No. I said, well, what happens if you if you were the only one in your apartment and that's the only clothes you had to wear? Would you wear it? Sure, I would, uh, while you were doing the laundry. And it's like, well, what's the difference? Well, what you've done is you've subconsciously told yourself every morning when you look in your wardrobe and say, ooh, if I wear those two things together, it's really not about me. It's about, I think there's too high of a chance, a probability that someone else is going to go, what in the world is she wearing or he wearing that far today? And so that is what statistics really is: is decision making that we all do, but we quantify it with with a probability theory. Now, of course, my next class that I come in, I wear on purpose. I wear an outfit that looks like that, that looks hideous that no one else would ever wear. (laughs) But they all, you know, I see who catches on real quick. But that's the whole idea.
0: Do you think you? interpret the world a little differently with a statistics background. And while we all make decisions, do you spend a little longer on those decisions actually quantifying things so you have the right outcome or an outcome that you can sort of predict?
1: Ah uh, yes and no. My mother would have said, "Oh my God, it took you an hour to pick pick out what pair of soccer shoes when I was in high school, <laughs> because I'd play. I ended up playing college soccer at St. Mary's in San Antonio and stuff. And so some things, yes, take longer making decisions myself. Other times, um, no. I mean, especially. The other side of who I am is I do do a lot of things with our local athletic programs, especially golf here in town, that, no, you don't have time. I'm better when I react. But uh, when it comes to looking at the world, yes, I would say, um, whether it be myself and the students I teach, one of the things I bring them in, uh, we talk about, is if something sounds too good to be true, there's probably a reason. I mean, I'm, you know. I'll be willing to say I'm not a very political person, but when I have discussions with people on both sides of the aisle, it's like, yeah, I don't know if I should believe all of that. There's always the other side of the story, and usually the truth is in the middle. And that's what statistics, when people either blatantly use them or go ahead and not explain what they've really done, a lot of times you think, hmm, what are they leaving out? What's not being done properly?
0: I like that you mentioned that because I think a lot of times people throw around stats and, you know, to say, this is truth, this is real without all the other data that is, you know, contributing to this number. How do you teach your students to decipher through those numbers to find truth?
1: Well, we can never find ultimate truth, honestly, um, this comes back to kind of a Catholic tradition I have, uh, and if you are, uh, all the great religions of the world have statements of faith, we call them. In statistics, specifically, we have what we call probability axioms, things that if you look at them at the, be- at the beginning, you're like, oh, that common sense to me, but not necessarily. For instance, one of them is uh, you can't have a probability greater than 100%. Well, why not? Uh, we've just been taught that we've assumed it, and then when I go through these axioms, and I also go through and say, well, and ultimately, you know, they seem a lot more. Applicable, or I'll call them common sense, compared to if you came from uh, outer space and came down and said, Wow, look at all these millions of people that believe that a man raised from the dead or believe that Muhammad was a great prophet or any of the great religions. But at the same time, I say, I want you to go back 500 years from now, from, from where we are right now. For many of us who have of Caucasian origin, if we were at a classroom, a like math, any kind of university, it'd have to be in Europe. And I say, the first axiom of geography was what 500 years ago? The world was flat well, um, it's been proven wrong. So even though all these things that I'm teaching you right now is based upon a perspective of what truth is, um, you never know. Maybe it won't be from 500 years from now. Now, I kind of kid. I say, well, by the end of the semester, you might as well believe it because you guess what your grade is going to be on. But for the most part, you've got to think of all the different perspectives of what's what's there. And In our class, it really comes down to assumptions. A lot of our statistical tests specifically that I'm doing towards the later half of my intro course, it depends upon what assumptions are being made. And people love to use statistics and they never check their assumptions if what they're doing and what procedure they're using is proper for the situation. And that's the Highly, you know that's what that's what a good education and what I'm trying to bring to our students is that, you know, again, um, it may not be exactly what it is. Let's see, did they do all the procedures correctly? And if they did, well, then then let's go look well, at. Well,
2: and it. what's the question, right? That's- yeah, exactly. And say I like that it's joining that analytical side of your brain, but also remembering that you can't just focus on the data and the numbers and the analytics. That you have to pull back and think bigger picture too. Correct. Right. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to take a moment to talk more about the application of sure. statistics. So of course in daily business practice, so many businesses throughout the world use statistics to make decisions, to figure out where they're going next within their company. And then you also, I would assume, use statistics in kind of all those different headlines you see in the news, whether it's with gambling, you know, I've seen a lot of the new, you know, sports betting apps with AI and all of the developments on AI, including for our social media platforms. So can you talk about that integration of statistics with something like artificial intelligence?
1: Sure. Um... I'm not an artificial intelligence expert, per se, but um, in a nutshell, every time you're on a website, you're being tracked. Um, you know, what Facebook, why? Because you come back uh, later in the evening and all of a sudden, there's a reason I get all these... Uh, Advertisements for Titleist and tailor-made golf because that's what I do. Um, those are the kind of websites I, I go ahead and, and look at and see what kind of what, what new clubs are coming out. Um, other applications are all statistics. Is every time many of us when we go to City Market or any grocery store, what do you do to get your discounts? You pull out your little uh, card that, that gives you the discount card, or you put in your phone number. But what are they really doing? Are they? Do they necessarily happy to go ahead and just they're doing this just for the fun of it? No, they're tracking everything you buy. And based upon your demographics for our students, hey, you're a traditional student, you're 19 years old, we're going to go ahead and we're going to put the Fritos right next to the, uh, we'll just call them. Sodas. Let's just say soda aisle and maybe some other aisles. But anyway, not for us good Mavericks, of course. But um, that's exactly what they're doing, all the marketing that goes behind it. And so that's one of the reasons I really love statistics. I have had uh, projects with anything from the town of Palisade when they've done a survey to County of Montrose. Um, I've done uh, projects with students at St. Mary's Hospital. Currently, one of them is being wrapped up even into a nice published journal article it just got accepted and then yes i even had people from blackhawk uh call me and they were they tried a new version of blackjack and the first night the house won a lot and the next night they got slammed and so i ran all the simulations and it was like well obvious i mean without going through all the statistical theory here they were basically saying well if you liked your first card like you got a an ace you could double your bet right away well That changed the odds so much that in the long run, the house was going to lose. And that's not what Vegas is about. They say they want you to have a good time, but they want you to leave a little money behind. And that's exactly all the probability theory and the statistics is.
2: And it's so interesting because that says daily users of, you know, I go to city market and I love getting my discounts. And, you know, you're not thinking about all of the things that are happening on the back end or even how statistics plays into it. But obviously it can have a pretty large role.
1: Yeah. One of my other fun uh, um, um, examples with statistics is this. You go to Walmart at five in the morning because maybe you're sick and how many checkout aisles are going to be open One, maybe even none. They'll just have one person surveillance, all the electronic ones. If we go tonight at 5 p.m., if they only had one checkout open, everybody's going to get mad. They're just going to walk out of the store, leave their stuff and say, I'll go over to Target or Safeway or what other store. So. How does corporate Walmart know how to go ahead and basically schedule how many checkout aisles are open? Well, of course, it depends upon how many people come in the store uh, per hour. It's called a poison process to go a little further into it, but the basic idea is you cannot control human behavior, but you can prepare for the average human behavior. How long a person's gonna be in the store shopping? How many people are gonna be in your store? And therefore, how long it should take for them to go ahead and check out and how many checkout aisles they should have open. Of course, I asked my students, would corporate Walmart love to uh, schedule such that on average you get instantaneously served? Meaning as soon as the the person leaves the checkout, the next person on average would instantaneously come up um that sounds the best customer service and satisfaction because you don't want your customers to wait of course they don't want to have too many checkout open then they got people behind the counter they're paying maybe up to 15 bucks an hour now and they're doing nothing so do they want to model or kind of predict or so we say schedule based upon uh no wait time and the answer is no they actually want you to wait one to two people why is that and typically in a class of size it could happen to any of my students but a lot of times I'll pick on some of our, our our you know traditional female students I said why because many of you in about 5 years or 6 you know within 10 years what might you be oh I'm a mother yes and when you take your kitty into Walmart and you wait what does your child start doing at the checkout mommy mommy I want this candy bar I want this soda You either gotta tell them no or you give in to them. Now, what do you know about everything around the checkout aisles? They're very inexpensive. They're a dollar or less. But if you look at the profit margins, they're the most expensive stuff in the store. That two that pack of Reese's peanut butter cups that cost you a buck up front, you can get six of them for $2.50 and back. They know they got you because your kid is screaming. That's why they do such things they do. Now, the only time, we, of course, we're willing to wait is on Good uh, what do we call it? Good Friday um, when all the big deals at Best Buy and people are willing Fuck to wait Friday. three hours in line. But that's only because the deals are so good. If that happened on a regular basis, we'd all walk out and go to the other store. And all that is is statistics. You're being tracked every, every time you walk in that door, especially nowadays with laser beams and automatic doors. They might not know exactly how many people are in the store, but they know exactly every time it's been open and closed and which way you walk. And from there they 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 can predict human behavior on average.
0: I think oftentimes Some people forget the level of caliber of faculty members that exist here on um, CMU's campus. And I want to go back a bit because you were one of the individuals uh, who helped land astronaut John Glenn, who was the first American to orbit Earth, circling, I think, three times in the early 60s. That is really amazing to say,
1: Yes, but I'm not that old. (laughs) This was the second time he he went back to space. I mean, he was already up, I don't remember if it was in the 60s. And it was an absolute honor to actually say I was one of the individuals sitting there in mission control that was there and help land John, John Glenn back to space with the rest of the crew. Um, it was very, it was, it was amazing. I mean, especially as I get older, I understand how more it takes to stay in fit. When I, I saw the gentleman f- from afar and it was like oh my gosh you could probably still play line linebacker for us or something he was you had to be fit to go through that kind of um travel space travel is not easy on individuals i well, guess it was a great great and i got i got the mission patch and all that kind of stuff over at my office and yeah sure
0: it's like a fun well, cocktail fact you know yes it
1: like, is. what's your fun fact <laughs>
2: That's a pretty good one.
1: Uh, That is.
2: And not only that, I believe you um, have also taken students to NASA on a trip, too. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I did.
1: I've taken a few of our students. I took three of them down to uh, the Space Center, we had a little project with uh, a friend of mine I contacted and said, do hey, you have anything uh, over there? He said, yeah, i got something for you to look at. He deals with navigation of the, now he was with the shuttle, but at uh, this time it was with Space Station, that's what he deals with now, and basically looking at the navigation, because you know we all think, oh, the GPS on our shuttle knows exactly where we are. Well, no, it doesn't exactly. There's still the truth of exactly where we are at this moment in time and where we are in the face of the earth, but it only knows within a certain f- few inches or feet exactly where we are, just like any any vehicle, whether it be uh, your car, whether it be an airplane or whether it be the space shuttle or space station. And so, yeah, we did a whole analysis for him and then we all flew down there and uh, I had the students uh, go ahead and give a big presentation in about a f- 40 engineers and a big room. And you can it's one of the rooms that you can see all the mission patches for the last, since the shuttle program was at least going, so that doesn't include the old Apollo days, but you know all the different And it was a, it was a great experience for our students.
2: That doesn't say I can only imagine as, you know, an undergraduate student getting that kind of experience um, is probably something that has stuck with them even after they've graduated.
1: Oh, yeah. One of my students is a math professor uh, that I, we took down there. And the other one is one of my best friends. He works for Mind Springs, has worked for the health department. And uh, um, and another one, she is working uh, down in Texas, I believe, and uh, doing well for one of the cell phone companies. And, and so hopefully experiences like that that uh, mean a lot. Right now, um, one of our seniors, uh, Josh Shetler, he actually is applying to medical schools and he's a double major. And uh, um, Dr. Randall Reese, uh, he is one of our councilmen, but also he is uh, the director of residency at St. Mary's Hospital. Um, He's basically taken him under his wing and they have a new psychiatric uh, program that goes on with deals with how Types of care you can get and how quickly people can get care for mental issues, and uh, it has worked so well that I, he's written up the results. Uh, Doctor Reitz and myself, we went ahead and, oh, um, you know, we're basically supervisor, uh, uh, basically his mentor, went through it, made sure everything looks great, and now that's even being published. And uh, great results you can do right here in Little Grand Junction, Colorado.
0: That's you just hit on something I wanted to bring up because as we've been talking, it's it's become very apparent that when you study statistics, you can go into a variety of different fields. And I know you, or I believe you recently published some um, some articles on the cannabis industry,
1: is <laughs> yes. that right? Yes. Um, Many people know my wife, Dr. Suzanne Owens Ott. She's a professor of accounting, and yes, out of some of her work, they we looked at, or she she looked to base originally. She looked at the differences of why accountants are willing to serve or not serve the cannabis industry, because we all know, yes, it's legal here in Colorado as well as like states like Washington and others, um, but we all know also know on a national level it isn't, and so. Uh, accounting is a very conservative field, and if you are, for instance, caught, you know, uh, doing accounting practices for some illegal organization, um, you know, some old-fashioned crime, crime organization, shall we say, you will lose your license, and so. Of course, it kind of depends upon age and demographics, et cetera. But some of the uh, uh, basic research was to look at who is willing, who's not, and why, and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, with that, we took some of this research. And uh, her, uh, my wife, Suzanne, as well as Dr. Johnny Schneider, and I helped you know, basically, you know, Clean up a few things in the sense of making it short and sweet. Do a little bit of data analysis with it, and it just got uh, published. So yeah, so maybe it, we can call us. I don't want to call ourselves the pot professors, but you know, <laughs> has a nice not? ring
0: to it though. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what? Yeah. What? What did the find? What did it say? What? Did, what was the finding? Well,
1: as you, it was not eye opening in the sense of uh, you would kind of figure. out into accountants that are younger are more likely to serve the industry. I mean, who's going to go ahead at age 50. Uh, maybe they're a partner and they're going to be willing to, to risk that on their line. Plus at the same time, those that are in their twenties, they've been brought up in a society where now it's, it's okay. And so, um, that's one of the major things. There wasn't many major differences between Colorado and Washington, which is the other thing we looked at. Um, but, uh, uh, maybe you'll have to have her on one of these podcasts and she can tell you more.
2: <laughs> so in an earlier conversation we had, you said being a professor is a lifestyle. And yes. don't, I don't know if that's an exact quote, but that was, I think, close to what you had said. And I just was hoping you could speak to a little bit more of that. Of what do you mean by being a professor is a lifestyle?
1: Yes. When I worked at NASA and I... Kids, that's the only job I've really had, full-time job, is that you went in at 8 o'clock, you left at 4 o'clock. Now, for special missions, yeah, sometimes we even had to get up at 11 in the morning because the the launch would be at 7 a.m. But when I got to the office, that's when I started thinking about my career or job. And then when I left the office, I just let it all go. As a professor, it's different than that. First of all, you got to be self-disciplined. You know, I know the criticism. Well, you guys are only in class nine hours a week or whatever. Well, there's a lot more to it. Well, I I always ask people, how long did it take you to make a presentation at work? Oh, man, that took me two, three hours ago. I do that every day. Not sure I do it over and over again that it doesn't take as much time. But the thing is that I... I make my own to schedule and some, I mean, there's certain times I gotta be there. I got class time. i got my office hours. We've got all our meetings to help, you know, service meetings and all kind of things we have to do. But then otherwise, um, last night after I played golf out at Tierrado, I was grading tests from nine to 10 o'clock and it doesn't bother me because I know it's the choice I made. I know I could have made a lot more money. Um, in fact, I, after I went back and got my PhD at Rice, I was hired here at Mesa and I was making less money than I, I when I left NASA six years beforehand, but that doesn't matter. Um, I don't. I was never brought up that money is happiness because I have never met one person that is tr- have true happiness because of money. Um, it helps, but that's not. That's not where it is.
0: I love that you said that because this is coming from a guy who. Analyzes the data to determine right the the outcome, so you know that happiness is more important than your bank account. It's proven, right? Oh, sure it is.
1: (laughs) I mean, look look at your movie stars. Look at other people; they have just as many problems as other
2: folks.
0: When you ran those numbers, so I trust you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, too, I can only imagine. You know, as a faculty member how much your students are reaching out to you outside of kind of the normal 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And to me, I think just in our short time having this conversation, you can tell that you're passionate about what you do and that you care about being in the classroom and being with our students. So I'm sure that's another piece of that lifestyle is having those conversations and connections with students and being available to them, not only for classroom discussions and grading papers and tests, but all of the other things that come with dealing with college students.
1: Uh, Yes, uh, maybe referring to, I would say one of my... Uh, most memorable in, uh, students that I had when I first got here. Um, there was a gentleman. He was a, uh, um, a manager at Sears when we had Sears. He was working around Christmas time. He was working sixty hours a week. Um, he was a little non-tra- non-traditional. Few years older. Um, and he was struggling. And before I got here, he was like, I was just really struggling. I couldn't find a time to balance, you know, he had a family, had a wife, they were expecting to have a a child. And, uh, basically he ended up being my student. I had, you know, my wife was his mentor for a senior project and everything that we did. But, uh, um, I knew I, maybe, you know. Got to be careful with your boundaries. But I knew and I got to know his wife a little bit, and they were a little older. And I knew his one of the things he wanted to do was see his one year old before he went to bed because you know you're working these long shifts and then you come home. And then we still were doing some of this research, and I would help him with the guidance and everything. Um, By the end of the semester, a few times, I know his wife would go ahead and say, Well, why don't you come over? She made dinner for us so he could basically see his child go to bed. And then after child went to bed, I played around too. And then after that, we'd go ahead and we'd talk about his research and his project. Um, one of the best fulfilling moments of my career is basically at before, right before his graduation, he actually told me his whole story. And he was um, a small time basically drug dealer. He basically dealt with marijuana. And now he got out of it. And he said, oh yeah, a lot of my cronies got caught. Thank God I got out of it. Some of it might've been because he fell in love and got married and has a great wife. In fact, she was a former student of mine too, a few years later. She used to love to give me trouble in class. She was one of my best students I've had in an intro class. But uh, uh, the thing is, is that that really, he said, before you came here, I felt lost. And I was a drug dealer. And now I was sitting here Changed my life, but I still didn't want the lifestyle I had as as this kind of manager, and he it wasn't for him. And then we got through it. On his graduation, he had a big party. I remember going over there I'd go over to different students' parties that they invite me. And I remember he had an uncle. Um, uh, I don't know how old or whatever he was, but he was a gentleman, came right off a of Harley with the leather jacket and everything and this man looked tough and I was like, "Oh, I don't want to cross this guy." He comes up to me and he says, "I know what you did for my nephew. I'll never have enough to thank you." And gives me a bear hug that I still think I'm I'm still going ouch from from the bruises. It was really neat to have and to say, "Hey." Um I I basically was a confirmation, I think, of, hey, I knew I was making the right decision. People years ago when I was a kid were telling me, you're made to do this. Whether it be a professor, whether it be a priest, those are the things people wanted me to do and would always suggest. And so I find my balance of doing all that, as well as a coach. I love doing that as well.
0: Hey, well, thank you so much for being here today. I think it's been a really fun conversation that our, I'm sure our listeners learned a lot from.
1: Well, thank you so much. And make good decisions, because that's all life is about.
0: Thank you for listening to the See Me Now podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.